0: Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info@capitalchurch.co. At Today, we're starting a new sermon series. It's called "This Is Us." So, this is uh, an eight-week series, and we're going to focus on the non-negotiable building blocks. Uh, Of our church, so these are—you can call them values, you can call them things that we're passionate about, you can even call them themes. Uh, But over the next eight weeks, we're going to be talking about and fleshing out these themes that are our essential characteristics of who we are. These themes—they shape us as a church uh, in profound ways, and uh, they—they kind of shape and they define how we live in God's world. So in in, in essence, uh, these themes that we're going to be talking about over the next eight weeks uh, will give shape to our modus vivendi, so the way we live. So today, if you turn to your neighbor and say today, today we're going to talk about being a people for the world. In other words, and this is the big idea today, is we are a people on mission. We can call ourselves mission people. And I just want to flesh out this idea really quick before we get to our passage but God's not called us simply to be spectators. God's not called us simply to uh, consume information and content. God has called us to participate with him in the rescue of creation itself. And so I'm going to do my very best today to take two ideas, uh, the peace of God, and I want to connect that to God's mission for us as a church. So if you can turn to your Bibles, if you have a Bible, you can certainly Open that up. But if you don't, I'm going to read uh, out of John chapter 20, 19 through 23. And this is a fascinating passage. Uh, here we have uh, on the morning of that first Easter. John is drawing this. Before I read it, I want to make it very clear. John is drawing a stark contrast between the events of that first Easter morning and the disciples. So John is telling us that this is the first day of the week, right? In other, In other words, words, this is the eighth day of God's brand new world, uh, so this is the beginning. What John is is suggesting: this Easter morning is the beginning of God's brand new world. It's like a shock wave, and as a shock wave that bursts out into uh, creation, new creation is traveling and pulsating throughout the world of space and time and matter. We believe here at Capital Church that matter matters; that God created it, and God wants to transform it. That might sound outrageous to you but uh, the Bible makes it very explicit that God loves this world. He loves bodies and brains, and he created it, and he loves mountains and landscape. All of this world is God's. In fact, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So we have this story of this is the first day of the week. This is a God's brand-new world, like a shockwave is traveling throughout creation itself. I know Easter is kind of like, man, it's a, it's a strange story, uh, but the epicenter, and this is what John is trying to tell us, the epicenter of this outward-moving new creation reality uh, is, of course, the resurrection of Jesus. But here we have this stark contrast. We have what's happening throughout the world of space, time, and matter uh, through Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And then, we've, then we see a portrait of the disciples. Uh, John tells us that they're, they're locked up, they're afraid, uh, they've locked the doors, they're in quarantine, and uh, man, they've been re- reading or watching too much of Bill Gates. They've come to believe he's the Antichrist, right? Or they're watching too much contagion, so they're out of their mind, they're not thinking straight, right? If you're offended by that, please, please forgive me, email me at shane at capitalchristian.com, whatever. Um, but this, this group of disciples, please hear me, they're in quarantine, they're cut off from the world, they're isolated, their life is, is, is filled with fear. And so I'm going to read this story. This is verse 19 of chapter 20. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the religious leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, the second time, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you." And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. them If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So we have this story of the disciples being locked up because of fear. A couple years ago, I took my wife to um, Portland. I grew up in Portland. And I lived there for seven years. And I remember this house that uh, I grew up in had a huge backyard, had this beautiful like pear tree and it had like a, like a, a swinging thing. What, what am I trying to say? A swinging ch- a chair thing. I can't even think, guys, right now. Uh, and then next it, in juxtaposition, we had this massive park. And so I remember as a young guy, I mean, our house wasn't that big, but our backyard was really big. And the park right next to our house, it just, it was sweeping. It was breathtaking, right? It was large. And so I took my wife back to um, uh, this house. And it's funny how this, this happened. As I went back, you know, I was about like 35-ish, and I was telling my wife all these stories, right, of, of growing up in this house. And once we arrived at the house, man, it was, it was crazy how small the backyard looked, like how small the, the pear tree was. Uh, how small the park. I mean, I thought it was huge when I was five. But at 35, it was uh, a lot, a lot smaller. And I think, and I remember in that moment, just kind of I, I was learning to approximate like reality. Like when I was young, I didn't have a really good sense of reality. As I got older, I was um, able to see reality for what, for what it was. And I think um, that's kind of what's happening in this story that John is telling us in chapter, chapter 20. I think what John is, is saying is that um, this kind of uh, reality uh, that Jesus has come back from the dead is reshaping how the disciples see themselves and how the disciples see the world uh, as well. In fact, in light of the resurrection, John is trying to tell us that every fear, right? We all have fears, but every fear is outsized in comparison to the resurrection of Jesus. In in other words, when we fully grasp and recognize who Jesus is and what the resurrection of Jesus is all about, like our anxieties and our fear and maybe our addictions, which seem large, and they do matter, but they seem large, they become smaller in light of what's happened on that first day. Easter morning. When we see the resurrection, for, uh, resurrection of Jesus for what it is, let me just say this. It's not, and I said this last week, it's not about disembodiment. Resurrection of Jesus, the story of the resurrection of Jesus in Easter is, is, is not about us um, flying off to some non-temporal, non-spatial location. Uh, resurrection meant re-embodiment. And re embodiment essentially meant that death itself is a biological reality. And the Bible tells us death was not just a biological reality, but death was a rogue spiritual power that had defaced God's beautiful world. And as a biological thing and as a spiritual power, which was an intruder in God's creation, it had been overthrown in the resurrection of Jesus. See, the resurrection of Jesus is not about, oh, hey, we get to go to heaven one day. It's not about us flying off to some disembodied location. No, the resurrection of Jesus is all about re-embodiment. It's all about how you take the properties of death itself, you reverse it, and it's overthrown. And when we see resurrection for what it is, and then when we see what Matthew tells us, as Jesus, Matthew records this, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he tells them, Guys, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he commissions his disciples to go throughout creation to teach and to baptize and to go tell and announce the good news that Jesus is king. So the resurrection implies that death has been overthrown. It tells us that Jesus also has been enthroned and is standing over creation itself. So it makes you like, want to like, rethink about who Jesus is. I know as I was reading this passage this week, I'm like, okay, God, I want to I see my fears and my anxieties and my stuff and my issues right in light of the resurrection of Jesus and in the reality that you are king over, over um, creation. Which means this, Jesus is not simply like some wandering rabbi throwing out homespun wisdom about the kingdom of God nor is he like a proto-Marxist, and I've heard this in a lot of different circles, he's kind of like a proto-Marxist, revolutionary, railing against the domination system. Jesus is not simply, he is not just like a really nice guy teaching us about the kingdom, nor does Jesus just have a really good gift of teaching and preaching. John, in fact, tells us, as he's telling us about this resurrection story, and as he's making it very clear that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, John tells us the main purpose of writing his gospel. He tells us that Jesus is none other than the Son of God. When we take, please hear me today, when we take the reality of the resurrection, right, the death itself has been reversed. Entropy, which is the idea that everything is winding down. Chaos theory, which means there are infinite variables that are outside of our control was absorbed in the body of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us very clearly that Jesus in his death defeated death, therefore defeating fear and forgiving us of sin itself. When we begin to realize that's what resurrection is about, and then we begin to see and grasp that King Jesus is Lord over all things in this world, and then we begin to realize that Jesus is the Son of God, that is when every fear in our life is downgraded. Fear, and I, I want to be sensitive to this because I know we all have our fears, but when we fully recognize and we let this sink deep down inside of us that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he is the Son of God and he came back from the dead and He's launched new creation in our world, what does that do? It trivializes fear and anxiety. We see fear for what it is and let me just tell you something really quick. Fear does not run deeper than the resurrection of Jesus. And when you begin to realize, realize that, that is when you enter into uh, God's peace. And this is why Jesus can say to his disciples, and it's, I believe he's saying to us today, peace. He says in the Greek, he uses a, a, a particular word, which is a, a reference to the Hebrew word shalom. He speaks shalom twice, over uh, his disciples, and he's speaking shalom over us in quarantine. So if Jesus is saying peace to you, please hear me today, he means peace to you. In fact, he has all the authority in heaven and earth to say it over your life. Now, if you were to come to me uh, this week and you were to say, no offense, please, no offense, but if you come to me and maybe I had a big fear that I was wrestling with, and you patted me on the back and you, and you gave me some really good counsel and you said, you don't, got, you don't have anything to be afraid of. And I asked you, okay, why do I not have anything to be afraid of? And you said, well, you know, I kind of just have a feeling. Um, I, you know, I kind of have authority on this issue, right? We just got to practice mindfulness. All that stuff is good stuff. But because you don't have authority, and again, no offense, uh, it wouldn't mean as much to me. The reason why we can have peace today in quarantine, in isolation, in this pandemic is because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. I want you to remember this, and this is key to what we're going to be talking about in the next, like, two minutes. Just bear with me. I want you to remember what we talked about last week. The most frequent command in the Bible is to not be afraid. Uh, you might ask the question, okay, Chris, why, right? Well, we all know this. Fear is woven in the fabric of our human life. We're afraid of being unloved. Uh, we're afraid of being unwanted. We're afraid of being rejected and hurt. Uh, some of us, maybe you're kind of like me, what, you're, you're a perfectionist, right? And so you want to be the best at everything, and uh, you, you want to do everything at a high level. Uh, and if you're not careful, what drives that perfectionism is this sense of not being worth anything, not being worthy, not being significant. In the word of one scholar, perfectionism is driven by this absolute need to justify your existence. Some of us, maybe we're not perfectionists, but maybe some of us are just afraid of a lot of different things. Maybe we have phobias. Maybe some of us are afraid of people. The Bible tells us that the fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be safe yeah, we all have fears. Some of us are afraid of the dark. Some of us have clowns, right? Stephen King ruined everything for us. We have fears. Fears is what fear and anxiety is what shapes our human life. So, having the peace of God, and this is crucial for us to understand, entering into the peace of God, um, not allowing fear to define us or shape us, uh, is linked to fully or I'll say it this way, growing in your understanding of who Jesus really is. And let me just say this really quick. Um, we, we, of course, we all feel fear. We all feel anxiety at times. We're, some of us, again, we've said this many times over the last month, we're feeling the, the threat of financial insecurity, right? Uh, some people are talking about uh, the economy. Some people are worried about their bodies. Uh, some of us obviously are worried about COVID-19 and uh, many of us are going to great lengths not to get it. I think that's, that's wise and that's smart. So what I'm not saying is you can't experience fear. What I'm not saying is you can't experience anxiety. What I am saying is that when you begin to grasp who Jesus is, you, you will not let fear shape or define uh, who you are. So having the peace of God or not having the peace of God is largely dependent on who you think Jesus is. When we learn, and I've been saying this, but I want you to hear me today, when we learn to recognize who Jesus is and what the resurrection means, which is the most explosive uh, event in human history, we can begin to let that go deep, and when we let that reality begin to shape us and reframe our vision of the world and ourselves, there is no door that can keep us locked up and cut off from the world. Peace or shalom, in the words of my theological mentor, Gary Breshears, says and defines it as a well-ordered relationship between God, yourself, others, and creation. That shalom, that peace, is predicated and connected inextricably to the reality of Jesus' presence in our life. And I just want to make a simple argument here today. I just got a few more minutes, and then we'll pray. I think this piece is actually foundational for being a people on mission. If you don't have this peace, if we're not working from the assumption that Jesus is in charge of human history and politics and Bill Gates and COVID-19 and vaccines or not vaccination, whatever your thing is, if you don't believe that Jesus is, is standing over it all, if you misunderstand the resurrection as simply going away to heaven and you don't realize that it is the overthrow of death itself, that we can never enter into the peace of God. And if we can never enter into the peace of God, we can never fulfill being a people on a mission. And I, I want to make this as clear as possible. God has called us as a church not just to spectate, not just to sit around and watch a preacher like preach or like Christians kind of do their thing on a Sunday morning, we're called as followers of Jesus to participate in the mission of God, which is all about the rescue of this world. So, after Jesus announces peace twice, shalom, basically, to his disciples, um, and let me just say this really quick. I think it takes time for peace to sink in. Like some of you are like, okay, I've tried this before. Yeah, Chris, I believe that Jesus is in charge of all things, but man, And I really believe it on Sunday, but like Monday or Tuesday, like in all the circumstances that I have to experience and all the troubles, that doesn't feel like my framing reality. I get that. I think it takes time uh, for us to uh, really grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. And this is why I think Jesus actually uh, announces peace twice because I think the disciples, they're trying to figure out, they're trying to process, okay, what in the heck is going on As they're in this tiny little room with locked doors, their lives are being defined by fear. Jesus stands in the midst of them and announces peace. So let me just say this really quick. I think peace and learning to operate in God's peace, it's a process. Uh, One pastor said, um, there's no such thing as an overnight success. Uh, There's only an overtime success. And I think that's related. We can remove the corporate language out of that. And I think we can apply it to how we enter into God's peace. Uh, It might take time for some of you. But as we learn to grasp that Jesus is the Son of God, right, and that he gave his life for us, that he's the embodiment of God's inexhaustible love for us, and that he came back from the dead, that's a game changer, right? That deals a death blow to our fears and our loathing and our longings that are maybe distorted, to our failures, to our overwhelming sense of inadequacy. When we see who Jesus is, everything changes, everything. So Jesus announces twice peace over his disciples. And then in verse 21, as we kind of close, and I want to talk about mission, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So what is Jesus doing here? What? He, he announces peace to these disciples who are um, defined by fear. They're living in fear. And uh, many of them have failed to uh, follow Jesus. And then Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus, I believe, is meeting them where they're at. And this is all mission talk. Jesus is basically saying, hey, guys, I know you're broken. I know, hey, Peter, you failed me. Right? Thomas, man, you got to stop doubting. Right? James and John, right, your mind is bent on violence and now you're afraid. Jesus comes to this this group of disciples who do not have it together. Man, they're failures. They still want to follow Jesus, but they're failures. And it's in this situation, within this context, that Jesus says, okay, here's some peace, but as the Father has sent me, I've been on mission, so I'm going to send you. What is Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is giving them a mission. But Jesus is also saying, hey, guys, I believe in you. I believe that you can do this. So again, let me just say this really quick. Jesus is not saying when he came back from the dead and he's having conversations with the disciples. He is not saying, hey, okay, I came back from the dead, and so let's fly off to some vertical takeoff, right? Let's fly off to some non-temporal spatial place we call heaven forever. No, instead, what Jesus does is he gives the disciples jobs to do. He gives them work. He gives them purpose. He gives them fresh meaning. He tells them to go. He tells them to teach. He tells them to baptize. He says, I want you to go to Galilee. I want Mary, Magdalene, go and tell my brothers what has happened. So Jesus is throwing out vocation. He's throwing out mission. He's throwing out work. So the resurrection of Jesus is not about leaving the world of space and time and matter. It's all about how God wants to renew all things, and it's about how God now is entrusting his disciples with mission. And this mission, as we'll see, is so bold, and it's so explosive that it bursts out of locked doors and quarantine and isolation. In fact, one scholar just recently quoted a passage out of the book of Revelation where Jesus stands um, outside the church and he's knocking to get in. Many of you are familiar with that passage. He then suggests that today the opposite is happening, that Jesus is actually knocking from inside the church and he wants to get out into the world. i just like to say, and this is just my suggestion, you can disagree with me, you're wrong, Um, we're not called to remain in isolation from the world. We're, not, we're, we're, we're called, and I want you to hear this, and I believe this is what's going to happen after we get through COVID-19. On the other side of this pandemic, I know we're quarantined, and we're isolated, and we're social distancing, which I think is really important. This message is not about how let's stop social distancing right now. What I'm suggesting is that at the end of COVID-19 in this pandemic, that God is going to do something so explosive in our nation that God is going to burst out of maybe the locked doors of our life and he's going to do something so profound in our nation and around the world that we would, I think we'd be shocked at it. So we're called, and as we look at this passage, we're called to break through the boundaries that have been closed to the good news of Jesus. Hey, we say this a lot, and I want you to remember this, and we'll say this over the next um, few weeks and uh, few decades The church doesn't have a mission statement. Like, the church, local churches that gather, I know we come up with, like, sayings that help organize uh, our church and bring clarity to, like, what we want to focus on. I think that's all good, but it's cute, right? I just like to suggest that the church, really, when it comes down to it, doesn't have a mission statement. In fact, God's mission, this is how we need to see it. God's mission has a church, what does that mean? You might be thinking, okay, Chris, what does, what, what does that mean? How do I apply that? I just think in order for the church to be the church, it has to first define itself not by churchiness. In order for the church to be the church, in order for us to be who God has called us to be, in order for us to flourish and to walk in God's supernatural power in this day and age, we have to define ourselves first by God's mission. When we are on God's mission, this is just a thought, That's when church happens. If we forget that God has given us a mission to help rescue the world and to implement what God has done in human history 2,000 years ago by loving and serving our world, if we forget that, we're not the church. We fail to be who God has called us to be. As I said uh, previously, we are not called to be spectators. We're not called to, uh, to consume content, or uh, information. Let me just say this really quick. You're not just a thinking thing, right? And I, I, I think podcasts are great. I think listening, you're obviously listening to a sermon today. I think that's great. Uh, we have rich content that we're given um, every single day. We have access to incredible preachers, incredible resources, incredible podcasts. Uh, we are, in the words of one scholar, we are living in an age of theological uh, affluence, We have resources, so much resources that can help shape how we think. But you're not just, let me just make this uh, thought more clear. You're not just a thinking thing. You're not just called to consume content. I'm going to call this, this is our epistemological crisis, and I think this crisis has uh, defined the church world in many ways. We assume that we could come on a Sunday and consume content, and that's enough. We assume that, man, we can have like a nice, and and that's good, and I want you to consume really good content, but it's not just consuming content that makes us God's people, right? Uh, It's so much more than that, and many of us, we assume that maybe uh, Monday through Friday when we wake up in the morning, we get our coffee, and we have our Devo with Jesus, that's, we call that Christianity. I would say that's the beginning of Christianity, but that's not in a total sense what God has called us to be. We're not called just to consume resources or thoughts. We're not just called to talk about reaching the world. I hope you hear what I'm I'm saying. Because this epistemological crisis, it runs deep in the modern Western world. It conditions how we see everything. We just assume if I can absorb more content, I'll have life, I'll have fulfillment, and that's the Christian story. No, the Christian story is that God has called us to participate within his mission to rescue the world. That's what we're called to. We're called to be partners with Jesus on his mission. We're called to see God do incredible things in our neighborhood, in our cities, in our world. I like to say that there are no locked doors in the kingdom of Jesus. I know some of us have locked doors the doors. Maybe some of you don't feel like this. You kind of, you, you go to work and you spend time with people who don't go to church, or maybe those who are unchurched, de-churched, they don't really believe in God, and you kind of mingle with them. But I'd just like to say, I think there's this implicit thing that has um, shaped our understanding of God, and that is we just, we've privatized our relationship with God. In fact, um, I'll say it this way. I don't think we've been quarantined just for one month. I think the church world has been quarantined for a lot longer. I feel like we've locked the doors in many ways. Many ways, we've just assumed, I'm I'm just gonna come to church and I'm gonna consume some content, and that's great, and we want you to continue to do that. But God has called us not just to spectate. God's called us to participate and to build for his kingdom in this world. I think many of us if we're honest, we've we've been cut off from the world. We've been isolated. We've shrunk our understanding of what it means to be the church. We've we've reduced being the church to simply Jesus and me, like this therapeutic spirituality. We've privatized our faith. And because of that, many of us are afraid to serve the world, love the world, talk about Jesus to the world. But uh, I have good news and I think COVID-19 is being used by God to break open and unlock the doors. God is knocking and he's not outside the church. I think he's inside the church. I know maybe this is a little bit kind of cliche, but he wants to burst out into our world and he wants to work through us to serve and to love and to bring healing and to bring strength to a, a world that is broken a world that is addicted to anxiety and sin and rebellion, God has given us this bold, fresh mission. And I believe the church world will never be the same on the other side of COVID-19. So Jesus, as, as we close, Jesus meets us. Please hear me. Not where we're not at. He meets us where we're at. Jesus doesn't, he's not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for people who are not afraid. He's not looking for people who are not broken because there's no such thing. Jesus is looking for people whose hearts are surrendered, whose hearts are open to be a part of this, what we call this collaborative eschatological reality of building for the kingdom of Jesus. So finally, Jesus meets us uh, not where we're not. Uh, Jesus is not looking for perfection. Jesus is not looking for people who are not broken, people who are not afraid, right? Because there's no such thing. Jesus is simply looking for people uh, who are open, people who are willing to follow Jesus uh, into the world for the sake of this world, to partner with Jesus as God. We don't do it, but as God rescues this world of space and time and matter. This is the good news of Jesus. Jesus meets us where we're at in quarantine, in our suffering, in our pain, in our grief, in our frustrations, in our longings, in our addictions, in our sin, He sets us free. He gives us His peace that surpasses all understanding, and then He looses us into the world. This is uh, who God is. This is what the Christian story is all about, and this is the value that we as a church continue to talk about it. It's what will shape everything we do. As a church, we don't live just simply to do church things, right? And those church things are great. But as a church, we are called to be on God's mission. And so I want you this week to think about, okay, God, what, what are you calling me to? Right? How, how do we apply this, Chris? Maybe you're asking this question. Well, I think it, it comes down to um, simply identifying your strengths and then giving those strengths back to God that's making money, whatever talent that might be, I don't know, if it's giving, whatever, helping, if you're a two, you just love to help people, it's giving on the Enneagram scale. But it's taking those gifts and those strengths and those talents that God has given you, and it's using it for the sake of the world, not just for yourself. And as we give our strengths, as we give our energy to God, we're going to see an incredible, incredible awakening in our nation. We are called not just to do church things. We are called to be on God's mission. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for everyone who's listening online. Just ask you would come and you would would help them in this season to grasp the reality. This is for all of us, to grasp this explosive reality that, Jesus, you're in charge of everything. Lord, help us to see reality in light of Easter, Lord, I thank you that this reality that we talked about today, let it it, um, sink deep within us. Let it be foundational in our lives. Lord, I thank you. It's a process. And Lord, we just give ourselves to this process. Lord, I know there are days where we feel great, days we don't feel great, and that's okay. But Lord, as we kind of go through life, I thank you that this reality, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you came back from the dead, and that you are the Son of God, let it be the most defining reality of our lives. And Lord, I thank you as we learn to enter into this reality. Let your peace that surpasses all understanding come to your people. Lord, I know there are people here today that are watching you don't have God's peace. Lord, I just ask right now by the power of Jesus that your peace would come. Your peace would be with your sons and daughters. That peace that the world cannot give. Holy Spirit, give to your people. And, Lord, as we learn to abide in the depths and the texture and the richness of your shalom, your peace, I thank you that you would begin to speak to us about how we can be on mission. Lord, I thank you that you're changing the church. Lord, I believe that the church is never going to be the same again. Lord, as we get through COVID-19, Lord, I thank you you have great things in store for us. And, Lord, I thank you that you would help bring clarity to all of us here today. About how we can be on your mission. Speak to us in clear ways about the tasks and the roles and the mission and the jobs that you have for us for the sake of our city, neighbors. In Jesus name, Amen. I want to pray for one last group of people. Hey, maybe maybe you don't go to church. Maybe you've been to church before. Maybe you're trying to figure out this God thing. Uh, maybe you're just you're just checking this out, and you're like, you know what, Chris, I, I think I want to follow Jesus. I know I'm not following Jesus right now. I want to I take my life, and I want to give it to him. I want him to be my king. I want what you're talking about, that reality to shape how I see myself, how I see the world. I know I'm still trying to figure things out, but I, I want to start today by surrendering and opening my heart to this Jesus uh, you're talking about. If that's you, i just like you to do something really quick. Could you just bow your heads, close your eyes. I like to do this. You don't have to do this. Um, you can if you want. But i just like you to repeat this simple prayer after me. It's just a simple prayer. And we're just inviting Jesus to come and take over our lives. Let's pray. You're Jesus. I give you my life. I give you my brokenness. I give you my sin. I give you my depression. I give you my fear. I give you everything. And I just ask today that you would make everything new. I just ask today that you would come and reveal yourself to me. I just ask today that you would bring healing to my heart. And I ask, even as uh, the preacher, that Chris guy was talking about, I just ask that um, you would show me what you want me to do for the sake of this week. Lord, and so I, I give you my life. Take over. In Jesus' name I pray. God bless you. Uh, we love you guys so much. I hope this blesses blessed you. Uh, can't wait to see you guys soon. Uh, physically in this location. Uh, thank you for all your prayers. God is doing great things in our city. Continue to pray for those who are sick. Continue to pray for those who are in the hospital. Can't wait to see you.